Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app or subscribe to our Let's Read the Bible reading plan. It's uh, it's available on YouVersion and on our website. At Grove.Church. Grove.Church. Uh, <laughs> what? Evan's a little, he's a little, uh, not down, but he's, he's, he's a little under the weather. He's fighting the cold. Uh, and so you might feel it like the energy might have dissipated there for a minute, but... Um, I lost a day in the middle of the week where like, I was, so I, I run the um, the internship program at the church and like it was late Tuesday night and one of them texted me like, hey, what's the schedule for tomorrow? Because I always send out the schedule the day before and I was like, guys, I'm going to be honest, I thought today, I thought tonight was Wednesday. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I've just, I've been so out of it. Uh, so yeah, as you think about it, you can pray for Evan. Uh, pray for me that I don't get sick because I don't want to be sick, but... Um, we are excited for another episode, and as usual, if you have questions, we do want to answer them as much as we can week over week, uh, and so you can send us questions two ways. One is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question, or the second way is direct message us on Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We get the questions there too, and we, we look forward to answering them. So we have a fun one today that, that we'll process through at the end of our episode, uh, but we are talking about and finishing up this week the book of Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah, I lied last week. I guess technically I didn't lie because I said I think this is the only week where we spend the entire week in one book. Technically, that is true because we will we will read like the first two chapters of Lamentations this week, but we're not going to talk about them. Yeah, we're going to save that for we'll next bring week. that to next week. Yeah, yeah. Just in case, if you thought you know, I can't wait to get out of Jeremiah. This book is so depressing. <laughs> Lamentations, <laughs> just it's literally a book about lamenting. La- yep, it's a book of laments. But if you don't know what lamenting is. You'll find out soon. It's true. All right. Well, let's let's talk about it. this week. We are back in Jeremiah. We're doing chapters thirty-four through fifty-two, uh, and we're gonna really we're gonna kind of focus in on thirty-four through. Uh, it's about forty-six, I think, is the chapter marker, and then from there we're gonna rapid fire out because it's kind of it's a lot of stuff that's been repeated before. Um, but yeah, Jeremiah kicks off this week's readings with a uh, a really a bummer prophecy about the king of Judah when Nebuchadnezzar's army was right on the doorstep. So, and this is one of the things that can be a little bit confusing about um, Jeremiah is it jumps in time a lot. So you'll see it kind of, it's it's very much not written in chronological order. So it's kind of all around the latter days of Jerusalem, but you really have to pay attention to every time that there's a break in the text and it says, um, this happened during the reign of so-and-so. Make sure you look at your list of kings and kind of place it. So yeah. this is Zedekiah, who is the last king of Judah. Uh, he's told that he will lose and that he's going to die in captivity. Yay. Um, That's not a fun one to be told. Yep. It says like, hey, but if you want, you can die in in peace. So... That's so nice. that's nice. Thanks, I guess. Jeremiah. Yep, I guess cool. thanks, God. Thanks, thanks, Lord. Yeah. For that, hey, remember that guy, David? He was really cool. I guess I'll keep my promise to him. Uh, so, <laughs> so chapter 35 takes us back in time a few years to the reign of Jehoiakim. Uh, and then there was a small, this one I thought was just kind of interesting. There's a small clan of people called the Rechabites. Um, and they, during basically, they're kind of nomadic people. They still live in tents. They do this whole thing. Um, they don't drink wine. But basically, because the armies of Babylon are coming, they come to Jerusalem because they need protection. Mm -hmm. It's just not feasible to live that lifestyle anymore. Jeremiah goes to them, uh, and he offers them wine, and they say, no, we're not going to drink wine. And he goes, why why won't you drink wine? And he goes, because years ago, our ancestor, our father, I forgot his name, I should put it in the notes, but he made a vow to not, you know, neither me nor my sons or my children shall build houses and we shall not drink wine, basically as a show of mourning because their people were, were wrong. And then God's like, oh, wow, look how, how they obeyed the commands. That's cool. Man, I wish more people of Israel were like that. It's kind of how the chapter goes. Like, it's basically like, wow, look at this example. Of Some days I wonder if God actually speaks and the tone that you speak. Sometimes, just like my overly sarcastic, <laughs> oh, wow, people of Israel, look at this. These, you're, you're listening. Wow, they, this this clan of people, their, their ancestor made a promise and then they kept it. Huh. What's that like? Wow. Yeah, I, I, I bet I bet if you guys did that, there wouldn't be the freaking armies of the Babylonians ransacking Jerusalem right now. That's, that's probably not as passive-aggressive as, as God is, but that's how passive-aggressive I would be if I were in charge. So. Well, let's be honest, how passive-aggressive you are. That's, but that's No, fair. I'm just kidding. Uh, in chapter 36, we get a story of King Jehoiakim. Uh, he's just being a real dingbat. Uh, Jeremiah is not allowed. So this is, I thought this was kind of interesting. So Jeremiah is not allowed in the assembly of uh, of 
the people anymore. Mm-hmm. So basically they said, hey, listen, dude, you've got nothing but bad news. And that really is, you know, that really is Jeremiah's lot as a prophet. And it's we've unfortunate, talked, but it's true. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Most of the prophets that we see, their message is, this is coming, repent, or the Lord is going to do this. Jeremiah's message is straight up just... This is happening. Because you didn't repent, I this can, is coming. I can say this now that I've finished Jeremiah. Uh, I did not see a single area where it was basically repentant. You'll be able to exactly. avoid disaster. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's there's an area later, but it's you can't avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes. But, so, and it's, it's literally Jeremiah prophesying judgment because people aren't repenting. His he, It's a lose-lose for Jeremiah. I mean, even him being removed from the assembly, like he, yep. it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, this is literally saying, hey, it's you're going to pl- liken it to football, right? If we were to go back to the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl, right? Oh, uh, it's literally telling Peyton Manning, hey, you're going to start the game, but you're not going to do much. Go play. Like that, 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 there's this, this, this reality of like, no one's going to listen to you, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. But you, are, you, are, you need to do what I tell you to do. Uh, and so Jeremiah should be commended like, for the obedience in the midst of that. Because I'm sorry, man. Like in my selfishness, I'm like, I'm out. See ya. Uh, and so many other people have. But that's, that's the lot that Jeremiah has pulled. Well, it's been called to. So I think it's also just convicting because I, I, I see a lot of myself in the people of Israel. Um, ideally not in like the idol worship, but I think very much in like... <laughs> that's good. But yeah, yeah. But like, I think it is in the sense of like, look, God, God always forgives. There's always a chance for repentance. I feel like I very much could have been that person. And then like, but this whole thing is like, like God's saying, I'm not going to abandon you, but this is coming. Yep. <laughs> There's zero, there is zero getting out of the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the proverbial, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah. And, and As your dad spanks you. That's true. If you've never been spanked, you're missing out. I think I've told this story before, but that is the one time I was ever able to get out of a spanking is when I offered to switch places with my dad when I was like three, when he said that to me and he just started laughing and he's like, just go to your room. <laughs> so was like, well played, sir. I was like, okay. Um, my dad wouldn't have been that nice. <laughs> he still have swatted me in the midst of his laughter. Oh man. Just kidding. Uh, in chapter, you, in chapter 36, we get a story of, um, Sorry, uh, we didn't even we didn't even talk about this. So, Jeremiah is he's banned from meeting in the assembly of the Lord, but the God but God has a prophecy. He wants him to go do it. And so this is when we get good old Baruch. Uh, remember, he's been here pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. He seems to be the one who records most of the things, but he also gets you know he gets things to do every once in a while. And so Jeremiah writes down or he dictates to Baruch. Here's the word from the Lord, and Baruch takes the scroll. He goes in and he opens it up, and he's like, "Hey, everyone, I have a word from the Lord." And so like you know the room goes quiet. And he goes, I just want everyone to know that Babylon is going to succeed and they're going to conquer <laughs> Jerusalem and we're all, we're all doomed. Just want everyone to know that it's kind of like his, his prophetic word from the Lord. Uh, Jehoiakim, I guess, understandably, but sinfully is like, no, I'm not about this. And so he takes a scroll and he burns it and he's like, how's that for a word from the Lord? And so Jeremiah, you know, Baruch comes back and he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah goes to the Lord and God's like, okay, well here, write down the exact same message. Um, also add in a bit about how Jehoiakim's throne is going to be ripped away from him and, and none of his descendants are ever going to sit on it and how he's going to die like a dog. And so like Jeremiah's like, Yay. okay, cool. And so he writes that down and then Baruch goes back and he reads that scroll. Um, surprisingly, Baruch survives that whole ordeal. You would think that that would be the type of thing that maybe Jehoiakim, maybe he's just a scroll burner. He's not a, he's not a prophet assistant killer, but, and then it, it comes true. So Jehoiakim, we'll get to that. A little bit later with some of the, uh, I think it gets brought up later, but you know, for spoilers, I guess his uh, basically yeah, all of his all of his sons are killed and Jehoiakim isn't buried. He's just kind of like left out. So bummer. And chapter thirty seven, let's see how that goes. Uh, so Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made king in the line of Judah, reigned instead instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Well, that checks out. No one ever listens to the prophets. That's kind Very of true. Until we get to uh, Haggai and Zephaniah. Yeah. That's a long time coming. Uh, king Zedekiah sent Jer- uh, Jeukal, the son of Shemaliah, and the son of Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Messiah, to Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, Please pray for us to the Lord our God. Now, Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came. To Jeremiah the prophet, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, thus 
shall you say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to inquire of me? Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and they shall burn it with fire. I didn't know you could burn things with other instruments, but that's cool. Uh, Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves saying the Chaldeans will surely go away from, uh, from us for they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of the Chaldeans who are fighting against you and there remained of them only wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn the city with fire. So basically Zedekiah, he's like, dude, the Egyptians, they're here. They're saving us. This is awesome, which is kind of a weird, we get in Jeremiah, this weird theme of kind of a reverse exodus. And we'll get to that towards the end. Um, but the people of Israel who remember were in slavery in Egypt and kind of held and oppressed. And they finally break out of that and get into their own promised land. At the very end, they're like, oh man, Egypt, our old pal, our old buddies, our old pals, they'll come in and save us for sure. And that's, you know, not exactly how it happens. Uh, the Egyptians arrive and they kind of help out for a sec. But then like Jeremiah says, like God says, they go back to their own land and Nebuchadnezzar is pretty, uh, <coughs> he's pretty peeved. He's pretty peeved about that whole situation. Uh, after Jeremiah gives this prophecy, he is promptly thrown in prison because no one get, likes getting bad news, I suppose. Uh, in chapter 38, Jeremiah is telling the people that if they surrender to the Babylonian army, they will live. But if they remain and fight, they will be killed. Um, so basically, even while he's in prison, he's like, hey, everyone, listen to me. And like, you know, everyone, like as they're grabbing their spears and their shields and they're getting ready to defend Jerusalem, he's like, I just want everyone to know. That if you go out and surrender to the Babylonians, you're going to be fine. But if you stay and fight, you're going to die. Okay, everyone, just want you to be aware. It's like it reminds me of uh, to bring it into like the Lord of the Rings movies when Denethor was like, "Flee, flee for your lives." It's basically what Jeremiah is doing, except he's right. And so, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Uh, Zedekiah the king. He's not too fond of this prophecy. Um, and he, his, some of his advisors come to him and they say, hey, listen, this guy, he's really bad for morale. And Zedekiah is like, well, I mean, that's that's pretty undeniable, I suppose, if we're <laughs> trying to get people to fight. And so the, he allows Jeremiah to be thrown down in, into a cistern to die. So basically it's a dry well, but it's still you know muddy and everything down there. So they lower him down with ropes and he just slowly is sinking into the mud to die. Um, this is when we get one of the more, the, the least talked about heroes in the Bible, but we get good old Ebed Melech, uh, who is an Ethiopian eunuch. So he's a member of the king's court, but he, he stands up for Jeremiah here and he goes and rescues him. So he, well, he gets permission from the king and he basically, he goes to Zedekiah and is like, Hey, this is a very wicked thing that you've done here. We need to go and we need to, uh, release the prophet from prison. And Zedekiah is like, okay, good call. Fine. I'll, I'll let you do it. So then they lower down ropes. They have him put him around his arms and then they hoist him out of the mud. Um, which is actually like, that's, it's a pretty big feat of strength. Yep. It, it doesn't say that he does it by himself, but that's not as easy as like, oh yeah, they just pulled him up. Like to get someone unstuck from mud like that, that's an yeah, intense, that's slowly sinking. Yes. That's an intense pull. And it doesn't feel very good for Jeremiah either. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah. It's going to hurt too. Yeah, that's true. Poor Jeremiah. Uh, finally, at the end of the chapter, Jeremiah warns Zedekiah to surrender, telling him that he, if he does not, Jerusalem will burn and its people will be killed. So, Aaron, do you think Zedekiah listens to Jeremiah and surrenders? I want to say yes, but I know the answer because I've, yes, but I know the answer. But no. Oh, Zedekiah. Well, what are you new? Come on, man. Listener, we'll talk about the fall of Jerusalem here in a second. But before we do, we just want to remind you, if you haven't left us a five-star review yet, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a written review, we will read it on the air just like... Little Murr. Uh, no, we got a review. We're uh, currently, and I, I know we've said this a lot lately, and so I, I don't want to be sales pitchy about it, but like, it's just fun to see the progression and the growth of ratings. We're at 98 in Spotify right now. We're at 89 uh, now at Apple Podcasts. And Little Murray, you left us a review, so I want to read it. Uh, and I just want to say thank you ahead of time. It says the, the title of the review is this, Meat That's Easy to Eat. Uh, it rhymes. It talks about meat, which we both like meat. Um, well, and it's it's it hints at the fact that if we were a steak, we'd be medium or medium rare as opposed to well done. So yes. thank you. So th- we're, we're, we're well cooked. Um, but it says this. It says, I stumbled across this podcast while looking to dig deeper into John the Baptist, and I've been hooked ever since. It makes me wonder when we've done our – when John the Baptist uh, – It was last year. It was it last year? Yeah, we did a character Dude, study. Dude, so you've been hooked with us. Thank you, man. Um 
He says that he continues to say, I enjoy the easy to understand material and the anointed teachings. Just what I was looking for. Thank you. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, keep it up. It's touching the hearts of the hungry. Uh, so I just want to say thanks uh, for leaving us a review. Uh, that's rad, man. I just, I really appreciate that. Uh, and again, it's just a great reminder. Like there, there's just a desire and a need uh, among people who just want to learn more about what the scripture is actually saying. Uh, and I appreciate that you enjoy Evan and I's banter back and forth. So thank you for that. Um, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love for you to jump on, take, even push pause on the show real quick, leave us a review. Uh, we'll read it on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate that. And on Spotify, continue to do the ratings. We're close to 100. Uh, I think we're two away. So it'd be rad if we we hit 100 here in a minute. So um, yeah, so thank you for leaving a review. Back back to Jeremiah. Back to the... <laughs> it's time to wrap up the book as we work to the end. Yeah, back to some of the most depressing parts of the Bible as we get into... Is the... it sad that that review was probably like the highlight? It's like, hey, here's a high point. It's not even about scripture. <laughs> I mean, I guess like... You know, Ebed Melech re- rescuing Jeremiah. Oh, that's, that was that's kind of a that win. was cool. That was cool. Um, and then we're just going to get to this. So this is in chapter thirty nine in the ninth year, and we're actually just going to read the whole. Well, not the whole chapter. We're going to skip a few verses here and there, but we're going to get the whole picture here. In the ninth year of Zedekiah king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon and all of his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all of the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. I'm not going to read those names. When Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all of the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city uh, at night by way of the king's garden, through the gate between two walls, and they went towards Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in Riblah, in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all of the nobles of Judah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who remained in the city, those who had deserted to him and the people who remained. We're going to skip forward a little bit here. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on this day, on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. So we get... Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a high point there where Ebed Melech, yeah. who is you know all around good guy, God's like, yeah, I'm gonna save you. Don't worry, you're gonna be, live a full life. So good for him. Uh, Zedekiah, I mean, he technically gets to live a full life. So <laughs> I guess that's one thing. But yeah, all of his sons are killed, and then he's blinded by the king. Yeah, so, so the last thing he gets to see is <laughs> is the nobles and his sons. His sons. Die. Yeah, being fully aware that his uh, his line has has ended. So, oof, big bummer there. Yeah, um, we're told that anyone who had some wealth was taken into exile. So basically, if you were a noble, if you owned property, if you had anything like that, you were taken to Babylon, and then they only left the poor in Judah. So also kind of like a real a real dirtbag move. And, you know, I'm starting to think the more I the more I read about these Babylonians, the more I think that they're real jerks, Aaron. <laughs> I think. The more I well, they are. the less I like them. They are. Uh, chapter 40 kicks off, uh, just to kind of change subject here, it kicks off an interesting set of stories about what happens to those who remain behind. So Jeremiah stays, which I think is really is really cool. He stays with the poor um, and he he ministers to them. Uh, but I put, it's, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> it goes pretty south. Um, Ishmael, who is a member of the royal family, he assassinates a uh, Gedaliah, who is the governor of Judah, uh, the one who is installed by the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. This is against Yahweh's wishes. So, and remember, like the the um, the message of God has not been like, "Hey, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and then fight back and take it back." It's like, no, it's been you're going to be in exile for seventy years, and eventually I'll restore you. Um, but that very much was. The, the restoration of Israel was very much something that was supposed to be done by the Lord. Yeah. It's not something that is going to be done by any human leader. Um, and so eventually, 
yeah, when God commands submission to the foreign kings, they don't obey. Uh, Ishmael is able to escape, but a lot of the rebellion is put down. In chapter 42, the people request a word from God, and Jeremiah is like, okay. He goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, by the way, stay in Judah. Don't flee to foreign lands. And so they decide to not stay in Judah and they flee to foreign <laughs> lands. And so Wait, yeah. you said don't I thought you said go. They're like, We want a word from the Lord. Not that word from the Lord. And so they, they take Jeremiah hostage and Baruch. Baruch is there as well. Um, and they go all the way down to Egypt. Um, and once they arrive there, what do they start to do? They start to worship the gods of Egypt because apparently they've huh. learned nothing after watching Jerusalem burn. Oh my gosh, these people. And so Yahweh declares that he will destroy the remnant in Egypt for the rebellion. So basically the same kind of where he says, those who stay in Judah or in Jerusalem, you're going to be destroyed. Yeah. That's kind of the same word he's giving here. Those of you who stay in Egypt, you're going to be destroyed. Um, except for one, uh, good old Baruch. He's given the uh, the Ebed-Melech treatment and uh, he's allowed to live. Um, but yeah, Babylon eventually... Uh, is going to come in, conquer Egypt, just like we know, like historically that is what they did. And um, the, basically almost everyone in that remnant of Jews mm -hmm. who was living in Egypt is destroyed. Yep. That's it. The end. Pretty much. I think, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. You might know that I, I, I was having a hard time finding a concrete answer. But So does that mean Jeremiah dies in Egypt? Um, I don't remember, um, if there is clear, like a clear reality to that, but I do know he was taken away into captivity. Right. Um, and I don't know. I actually, I've not read the one book that I've not actually done a lot of deep diving is Lamentations. So I'm curious to know if there's anything in Lamentations yeah. that would allude to that. But it would, for me, it would appear that that's the case. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it was a miserable I mean, it's, I can't imagine, like, at the end of the day, again, you see everything, even in, in, hey, we want a word from the Lord, he gives them a word from the Lord, and they do it the exact opposite. Like, I, I would be just as frustrated. Like, I would, I'd peace out and say, fine, <laughs> I did my job, see ya. I'm going to go live a nomadic life on my own and be a recluse. Yeah. Um, it's... Almost like Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. But... Ooh, there you go. I like a nice nerd reference there. It is like, yeah, Jeremiah has one of the saddest stories of any of the prophets where it's just, there's no good, like there's really no like big triumphant moment. It's just all pain. Um, sorry, we're not finished with the book yet. The reason I said it's, that's it, it's over. is That's pretty much the end of the narrative. And, yeah, then, we yeah, yeah. and then we shift into chapter 46 is a series of oracles against the surrounding nations. Um, and really this is, it, it reminds me of Habakkuk where if, if you remember the, the big thing that Habakkuk is wrestling through is there's so much, um, Ju there's so much sin in Judah. God, how can you let it be? And then God's answer is that, oh, don't worry, I'm raising up the Babylonians and they're going to come and they're going to destroy everything. And Habakkuk's like, wait, that's not fair. Like the Babylonians are even worse. And then God's answer to that is like, well, don't worry. They like, they're going to get punished too. But I'm essentially it's wrestling through that idea. Like, is it right for God to, to use evil? as evil, evil men as his, as his instrument. And so I think in Jeremiah, we kind of get a little bit of an answer to that. Aaron, you look like you have something. That well, you, you asked about Jeremiah if he died, right? Right. And so I was like, I don't remember. And so I literally just Googled it. Um, and, and I actually don't remember this at all. So I don't even think it was in the, like the commentary that I read, but it very well could have been because hmm. it was such a deep book. But it said, uh, it says that Jeremiah probably died about 570 BC. According to a tradition that is preserved in extra biblical sources, he was stoned to death by his exasperated fellow countrymen in Egypt. Oh, okay. Which would make sense. Like, I, I mean, Jeremiah lived a, and I think I, I want, I do want to say this, and this is what kind of, as you were talking, I just, I, I think it's important. Like, yes, Jeremiah's story as we see it is, is a, a it's a sucky story. Like, it's a sucky call um, to, to be told, hey, you're going to be my prophet to my people. And they're going to utterly reject you. They're not going to respond to a single, you just get to pronounce my judgment. Um, and on one hand, we could look at it from a, and I think we got to be careful with this, right? I think we can look at it from a, a westernized American perspective, um, a, a, a first world perspective and say, man, that, that's lame. Like that sucks. And I don't doubt the hardship. I don't doubt the struggle. I don't doubt the, the, 
the the discouragement of that call. <clears throat> but Jeremiah was obedient to God's call in his life. Like Jeremiah understood in a greater capacity than I think we understand today the need to just say yes. And he had a closer walk with Jesus because anyways, Christophanes, he had a closer, he had, he, he had a better perspective and understanding of who God is. And so he was willing to say yes to do what God called him to do because all, all of his focus, all of his heart, all of his, like everything in him was in submission to, to Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, I think when we read the story and even, you know, we're tongue in cheek about it, we get a little bit, you know, dramatic about it just because it's, it's, it's a sucky story. Um, man, like, like a, a prophet who is called by God is utterly rejected, is thrown into a cistern that's dried up except for mud. He's oftentimes rejected. He's put in, in stocks. Like he, he, he just is like, there's no like, yay, you did it, Jeremiah. Good job. And then the fight, like at the end of his life, like he was stoned by his countrymen. Yeah. They, yeah. Like that, that's, that's not a fun way to consider what God has called us to. And then I'm, I, you know, it triggers the mind and the thought of like, man, there are people that I know that have said yes to God's call and they're in different countries where they are being tormented, rejected, threats on their life. They're living in an unsafe, like there's just so many people. And so I, I think right. we got to be very careful to read it from a high horse pic- picture. And not that we're doing that. And I want to be very clear. I don't think Evan and I are doing that, but I think we, if we're not, if we're not careful, we can communicate something that isn't really what we intend to. As we read the story from our spot, from our place, as we work through the story, like there is, there is frustration towards God's peace people. Um, but even as you were, even as you were kind of joking and 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 saying, and like all these people, like you just said that you kind of relate to the Israelites. Yeah, that's true. And so, like that, we just have to be careful about in our own walks. Where am I? Am I willing, if this is what God called me to, would I say yes? I guess that's the question that I, I always process. Like if God were to call me to this story, would I say yes to it? Um, and I want to say that I would say yes, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it's also uh, kind of like you were alluding to. It's very important when we read, particularly in the Old Testament, um, but I think in the New Testament as well, that we don't uh, that we don't always say, um, oh man, look at those evil people. Like, yeah, for re- sure. Realize like, no, we are Israel. Like we, we reject God all the time. Yeah. Uh, we are the Pharisees. Like we become obsessed with extra biblical uh, rules and, and mm-hmm. regulations, all those different things. I think there's a uh, be be very careful to only see yourself as the heroes of biblical stories and not as the villain as well. Yes. So so, anyways, I so I know it's kind of like a sidebar rab, rabbit trail tangent, whatever soapbox, whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer about it. I just think it's really important to understand. Like Jeremiah did what God called him to do. Yep, and he did it to 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 his death and. And even in the midst of his hardship, like he modeled for us today an obedience, no matter the circumstance that I think is so needed among Christians um, in, in 2022. So um, yes, the, the story that was, we look from a, a, a 30,000 foot level, as we look at it from thousands of years removed, um, it's tragic and it's unfortunate, but there's so much that we can learn from it. And there's also things that we've got to be careful not to, to think that we're not Israel, Israel, right? right. Like, oh, I'm not. Then, like, no, I am. And God, help me to be obedient. Help me to be responsive. Help me to hear what you say or what your word says, and be diligent to obey it. Uh, and that's what Jeremiah did. That's the, I guess, that's the contrast of the story, right? You've got one person who, through the, through all sorts of hardship, all sorts of like no positive responses, he did what God called him to do. And you've got a whole bunch of people that, through all the different opportunities that God gave them uh, in their history. And even and even to to be safe, like if you stay in the city and fight, you're gone. But if you flee for your lives, you'll be safe. Or if you surrender, sorry, if you surrender to Babylon, you'll be safe. They still chose, like the, some of them chose to fight. So it's just that tension, I think, and that right. contrast of, of of obedience. So all of that to say, it's it's a tragic story, it's a frustrating story, but at the same time, I'm thankful for Jeremiah who still said yes in the midst of hardship, and I hope my heart always is willing to say yes in the midst of hardship. So. No. That's the sidebar soapbox moment. So no, thanks it. for listening. 
So in, in chapter 46, we're, like I said, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. Basically, it's just listing off the judgments of God against the following nations, uh, Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazor, Elam, and then finally Babylon. So Babylon is not going to escape the wrath of God. And that one kind of just goes on and on. Like when you read it, it's like, this is a really long oracle of judgment. Yep. Um, and I do think it, it shows something of of God's justice as well, that yeah, he does use Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. He does use Babylon to accomplish his uh, what, what he's going to accomplish, but he's also not going, just going to ignore their sin and their apostasy, and he's very much going to punish them for that as well. And then the final, the final chapter of Jeremiah is interesting uh, because it's a recount, it's a recounting of the fall of Jerusalem, and it's taken almost entirely from the last chapter of Kings. So chapter twenty-five mm. of Second Kings. It's almost word for word. I mean, there's obviously a few changes in there. Um, and so, you know, you, listeners, you know, if you've been listening for a little bit that I love what are, I love looking at what are the last words of a book, because I think it's just kind of communicating what is the book about. So the last words of Jeremiah are actually the last words of Kings. And it's just a recounting of a former king of Judah, Jeconiah or Jehoiakim, living his best life in Babylon. And that's, that's how it ends. And so I think I... I this year, I've ne- I had never thought of that picture of hmm. the former king of Judah living in comfort and peace in Babylon as much as I have th- this year. And I think so much of it is just this picture of the people of Israel crying out that they want to be like other nations. We want a king like other nations. And then they just slowly become more like the other nations and in, in, in bad ways where they begin to worship other gods. And finally, when they're conquered, there's basically no difference between them and the other tribal nations that are around them. And then finally, they kind of just get what they want. And Jehoiakim is a vassal king living in in the Babylonian court, just like all of the other former kings of the area. It's just kind of, it's an interesting picture to me. And it's this weird kind of almost, it's a sad ending that doesn't have to be a necessarily sad scene. And I I think I've said this before, but it reminds me of the end of 1984, where it's a really good book if you haven't read it. But the, the ending of the book is not like this horrible scene of like the main character, like it's a failure, but the main character isn't like dead. It's not, um, like the world's been destroyed or anything like that. It's just the main character sitting down and enjoying his lunch and thinking about how much he loves uh, the people who are in charge. And I think that's kind of like what the end of Kings and Jeremiah here is, is it's just a former King of Judah living his best life and thinking about how much he appreciates the King of Babylon. It's a, it's a dark, almost dystopian ending, I guess is the way that I would Hmm. describe it. So anyway, that's Jeremiah. (laughs) And that's so, the book. That's the book. Next week we're talking about lamentations, so that'll be a fun one. And then I, I actually I I don't remember last time I actually read all the way through Lamentations yet, uh, just to be honest and transparent. But um, I do think there's going to be some higher points in Lamentations, even though the whole idea of Lamentations is lament and the laments that he has for his people. Uh, but there are very some very significant poignant moments in Lamentations where even in the midst of his despair or his lamenting, there is like returning back to God or yep. or reflecting on God's faithfulness and goodness. So so there will be, I would say, probably more high, point, high points and limitations than in Jeremiah. So Well, I do want to be careful too, where um, Jeremiah is, there's no hope to escape the judgment of Jerusalem, but there is hope that the Lord still loves his people and will, and will save them and protect yeah. them. That, and we see that throughout the rest of scripture. Like we, we just talked about, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. That's all stories about post- this destruction of Jerusalem and how God takes care of his people. So it's not that he's abandoned them. It's essentially that this punishment for their breaking of the covenant cannot be avoided anymore. But let's get into a different question now. All right. So here we go. This I thought this was really interesting. And it it, it, uh, it comes at the perfect time because we're right in yeah. the middle of spooky season. Yeah. So I have spooky a season. spooky. Uh, I have a question that is a hot topic right now. Halloween exclamation I, point. I got convicted last year to not celebrate it as I found out about its origin and I feel it to be very demonic. However, there are many pastors, perhaps even yourselves, that partake in the holiday. They go trick or treating, and there are churches that participate to evangelize. However, however, I feel 
one uh, I feel one half of Christians are heavily convicted, the others are not. What is your guys' stance on Halloween? I am curious. I spoke with two pastors from my church. One is as, is convicted as I am and says it's very demonic, and the other one celebrates it. So it's confusing. I'm convicted, so I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit, but nonetheless, it's such a hot topic and it's confusing. Yeah. Before we answer, I just want to say very simply, like, that's exactly the right response. Yeah. Like, you're going to come across with people that don't respond or, or, or are not convicted that by the same things as you are and your response is to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and walk in the confidence and grace of that because that's a huge deal. So uh, so I just want to say great job uh, on being mature, being discerning, uh, and being obedient to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So I think that's huge. Yep. So it, it makes me think of, I should have written down what, um, it's got. I guess it's got to be an Acts, but when Paul goes to, I believe it's the Ephesians who have the shrine to the God with no name. The unknown God. The unknown God. And he says, um, I see here that you have a shrine to the unknown God. Let me tell you about who that God actually is. And so what Paul is doing in that moment is he's taking something um, about the culture and he's showing them, here's how you're right. Here's how you're very wrong. But also here's how you're, here's how you're right. And he does that with a lot of, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make, make this seem like I came up with that on my head. I'm, I'm reading a book by Tim Keller right now called Preaching, where he talks about how <coughs> when you're speaking to culture, um, that's one of the things that you do is you show them an area of culture. Um, you show them how they're getting at something that's right. Here's how they're getting it wrong. But the underlying principle of it here is how you're getting it yeah. right. I think with a lot of, a lot of Christian holidays, we have an instinct as as modern Christians, that if any, if there's any sort of um, of taint in it, that we want to we want to throw it aside. And I think I, I won't go so far as to say like you know it's wrong or right or whatever it is, because I think this is an issue where we as Christians can very much disagree. This is a very open handed issue. Yeah. Um, I personally do not see anything wrong with the redemption of formerly pagan pagan holidays. And so here's what I here's what I mean by that. Christmas. Um, obviously we know is most likely not the actual date of the birth of Christ. We don't have any evidence that it's on December 25th. What we do know is that there's festivals that were ancient, uh, I believe mostly Celtic. And what it was is the celebration of the longest day of the year is over. And now it's all up from here. It's a celebration of new life. It's a celebration of hope in the midst of, in the midst of darkness. And so what do the Christians do? They say, Hey, this celebration you have of hope in the midst of darkness, that's a very good thing to celebrate. Now, here's what's even better to celebrate, the hope of Christ in the midst of the darkness that we had in sin. And so it, it transformed this holiday about just kind of like the basic hope of life, I suppose you, you could put it, and it transformed it into a celebration of the hope of Christ, which is the also ultimately, that is what that looks forward to. The hope mm-hmm. of spring coming out of winter is a shadow of the hope of Christ coming out of, coming out of our sin. Um, I think Halloween has very similar origins where it's, it's an ancient Celtic holiday. I, I, I didn't write down the name of what it is, um, but essentially, you know, it's a celebration of, of ancestors and this new year and all, and all these different things. And so when the church came in, what did they do? Well, they, t- they changed it to all saints day and all Hallows Eve, which is, that's what Halloween is. Uh, it's, I think it's a Scottish form of all Hallows Eve. Um, but essentially it turned from a day of just kind of basic like recognition of the ancestors into, well, let's talk about like, you know, let's talk about those who have fallen before us. Let's talk about the great saints um, who died, but they died preaching the gospel. They died doing the incredible missionary work. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a redemptive aspect in there. Um, and there's a, there's a Christian author that I like reading named Andrew Clavin, and he talks about how the birth life, death, and resurrection of Christ is like an atom bomb that goes off in history. And because it's inescapable, its radiation changes everything before and after it. So the way that we look at the history before Christ is as leading up to Christ. And the way that we look at things after Christ is all of these um, all of these things that existed in the world, they slowly become changed because of who mm-hmm. Jesus of who Jesus is and, and the work of the gospel. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing to to change those things. As far as Halloween today, I think there's just, you know, there's a couple 
And it honestly, it reminds me a lot of Christmas in this sense, where I think there's good ways to celebrate Christmas. I think there's bad ways to celebrate Christmas. I think if we're Christians and Christmas is entirely about like, let's get together with family and have gifts and it's just a fun time, I think we've missed it. Like if we're not celebrating the birth of Christ at Christmas, then I think we're missing um, what makes that holiday it's at its most beautiful. Yeah. I think with Halloween, there are some things that are inherently non-Christian about it. I think any sort of celebration of the demonic is non is, is, is unchristian and we shouldn't participate in that. Um, I think some of like the deepest forms of debauchery where it's just like, like a lot of times Halloween is just like a time for like, I mean, to, to put it uh, bluntly, just sinful excess. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think participating in that is wrong. I think even there's certain, there's certain costumes, there's certain uh, things to celebrate that I, I would be hesitant to, um, like when, when Ashley and I have kids and I don't, I don't know if this is a filter that you and you and Cassie think through, but there's some things like, Hey, let's not dress up as, you know, like if you wanted to come like dress up like a demon or something like that, but like, yeah. let's not, let's not do that, but let's do let's some other things. Um, I personally don't have any heartburn over just kind of celebrating Halloween in that sense. And then there's a couple of practical things I'd say as well. Um, as, as a church, we are one of those churches that takes it as an evangelistic opportunity. And so we open up our doors and we throw a big carnival every year. And for us, the value is a providing a safe place on Halloween. So mm-hmm. you're not having to, you know, you don't have to go around trick or treating. You're not going to gonna go see everything, but you're going to have a fun family friendly event where you can get a bunch of candy um, on Halloween. And it also, I think is a really cool way to introduce people to the church who would never come to the church otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so, and that also kind of plants that seed of, okay, well maybe when one day, like there are there hard times, are there times where they feel like I, I need to look at my relationship with God. All of a sudden they have this memory of a church. That's not as a cold, um, maybe they walked in and they felt like they didn't know anybody. They felt judged or whatever it is, but their memory of the church is just like this really fun place. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I also think even if, even if we're not celebrating in Halloween, I, I I do wonder how how effective of a witness is it to be the one house in a neighborhood where your porch light is off, and if your neighbors know that you're a Christian, and then they also know, oh yeah, on Halloween, um, you're not going to get any candy from them. Just skip over that house. <coughs> and not that that's not that that's the be all, end all, um, but I think Halloween presents a really great opportunity to love your neighbors, to get to know your neighbors, to be able to, um, and to get, yeah, to get to know even your neighbor's kids and their families and, and all those different things. I think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to show kindness and to be able to show God's love. Um, and if by not participating in Halloween, what we mean is li- literally just like turning off our lights and like, don't, please don't come up to us. Um, I wonder if that hurts our witness more than it helps it. So th- those are kind of my thoughts. Again, this is a very open-handed issue. And so if if you feel um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to not engage with Halloween at all, I'm not saying that's wrong at all. So this is more of, and I'm, I'm sure Aaron will take the same filter as well. It's more of my own personal feelings and my own personal convictions, not necessarily saying this is the absolute right truth or yeah. anything. So I don't know if you have anything to add there. No, I think um, I think this is probably a topic that's not nearly discussed enough um, in in Christian circles uh, because I think I grew up in an era of Christianity that was do this, don't do this. And I actually don't don't regret that, that era of my life because it helped set up guardrails for me um, to not be distracted from what it means to love Jesus and, and try and understand what it means to live in response uh, of the love Christ has for me. Um, and so, I mean, I remember as a kid, we used to have harvest parties is what they, we called them. Um, yeah, we, I, that was my kid harvest too. Harvest festivals or things like that. I mean, that the first thing that I had when we came here was like a harvest party of some sort. Um, and, and then it shifted to the, what we call the carnival. Um, and, I, and I would say simply this. I think if you look back at the history of what Halloween, where it originated from, yeah, there's some very dark and demonic things there um, where the way – I mean, it was – if you don't know the history of Halloween, Evan's better at this sort of stuff than I am. But as I was just even reading up on it, just trying to understand you and just remember, like it's been so long since I even did any work, but the whole idea of uh, it's the darkest time of year from a uh, natural perspective, like a, a, a created order perspective. It's the darkest time of the year. Um, in the Northern hemisphere. In the Northern hemisphere. <laughs> yes, that's fair. Um, if you're in the Southern hemisphere, just kidding. Um, but the whole reason why it, it 
it is some, some dark and demonic things is because people, uh, the Celtics, the Druids is what they were. They would wear uh, like animal masks and do animal sacrifices. And because the whole goal was to try and keep the ghosts and, and, and otherworldly spirits away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they wore and dressed up that way to, sh- to scare away those spirits as a, ma- a means of protection, right? So that was where it started. Like that's where the dark side of it originated. Now, how we celebrate today in America is all of these hodgepodges of different cultures and different because of because America, if you don't know, this is an immigrated immigrated country. It established from people from Europe moving here and now people all over the world moving to a country, just like I think most countries can have that same piece a little bit, but that's unique specifically to America. So how we celebrate is it's now all of this conglomeration of different traditions and different societies and different historical things, and they're all melting together to be this one Halloween night celebration. All Hallows' Eve is All Saints' Day is November 1st. So All Hallows' Eve is like the eve of celebrating Saints' Day, which is where this, like the Pope, I think it was Pope Gregory III, uh, I think is what I read. That sounds right, actually, yeah. I think I read it. So I think that's why I know it. Um, But there is that, that he's the one that created All Saints' Day, which was November 1st. And then they started trying to take over and change uh, the reason for the 31st of October was the idea of All Hallows' Eve. It's we're getting ready to celebrate All Saints' Day, just like Christmas Eve, right? It's the day before. Mm-hmm. Trying to build anticipation. All that to say, the way we celebrate it today is is not the way it was originally celebrated because of all the different cultural influences from different societies and different people. Doesn't mean to say that it originated from a beneficial thing, but it is a very pagan thing. I mean, I, I think of even as we've worked through the, the the prophets in the Old Testament, the historical books, God's people are called to be set apart. But I do think very clearly and very carefully for myself, I, I have the same stance in the sense where I'm not going to let my kids dress up in demonic things or dark things. Or, I mean, my, my daughter wants to be a, a cheerleader from the movie Zombies. Um, the a Disney. zombie cheerleader? No, 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 no. But a, a cheerleader from the Disney movie, Zombies or whatever. So oh. she's not a zombie. She's not a werewolf, whatever. But it's the mu- – whatever. So she – and you can judge me if I let my kids watch the Disney movie, whatever. Oh. All that all that to say, um, that's what she wants to be. My son wants to be a knight. And so we, we just bought him a knight costume and he has two swords. One's a dagger, one's a sword. Um and I think though the I do think there's it's an interesting thing. And Romans 14 is one that very specifically says it's actually kind of ironic the way that the the wording is. But it says one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let the one be fully convinced in his own mind. That's verse five of chapter 14. So I do think very simply, and I, I even go back to what I said earlier. The fact that you're being obedient to what the Holy Spirit saying to you, I think that's what our call is. We have to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. I do think that we have a code as a church um, that I believe very strongly in. And I absolutely, and not because I'm a pastor on staff, but because this is so stinking true is that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. That's why we have the carnival on the 31st. And in 10 years that I've been here, there's only been one year we haven't done the carnival and that was in 2020 because of COVID. And I walked around my neighborhood and I greeted kids and I said hi to my neighbors. There's something about being a light in my community and in my neighborhood that is so powerful and so important that I do think that there's ways that we can build a bridge to our neighbors all the while not celebrating in a certain way. And and I do think that we have to be very, very diligent in God, what is the expression that you're asking me to do? And so even, even for, for, for you who wrote the question, I can't remember your name, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I would say very simply, you be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And if it means that you need to shut your lights off for Halloween, then do it. But make sure you're being light in your neighborhood even more so outside of Halloween. That's good. And and make sure that, that there's no question about your love, about your grace for your neighborhood. Um, because we're called to be a light, like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Because Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus is the one that's redeeming and transforming our lives. And so in the darkest celebration, in the darkest time, and I'll be honest with you, there was one, I mean, I've only trick-or-treated once in my life. I'm 38, almost 39 years old, only once. And that was in 2020. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so I never as a kid got to sell or under, uh, engage in trick-or-treating where you go trick-or-treat. Like I never, did, I never did any of that. But I remember walking by a house in my neighborhood 
that was probably the darkest, the most demonic that I've ever experienced in the house and the way that they decorated their house. You had to walk into their gate to go to their front porch to get candy. And as I'm walking with my then, she would have been seven-year-old little girl. I could tell she was like, I don't know if I want, I'm like, nope, we're not going here. Let's just keep walking. I didn't acknowledge. I didn't say hi. I didn't say, Hey, great job. I, I just walked, continued walking and we called it good because I didn't celebrate that. That wasn't okay with me. Mm -hmm. All of that to say, I do think that as a Christian, I'm called to be a light wherever I am. And, and I, and I would say if if you're going to darken the windows and the lights, which is the universal sign, if you don't want people showing up or you don't have candy at your house, turn your lights off. Um, cause you won't have kids knock at your door. Don't decorate. Don't put any kind of Halloween decorations up. Don't, don't do it because people won't show up and that's totally fine. But don't let that night be indicative of your engagement with your neighborhood because as Christians, we're not called to do that. As Christians, we're called to be a light. As Christians, we're called to be grace, extensions of grace to our neighbors. Um, and so I have no issues with not celebrating Halloween. What I, what I have issues with is Christians who don't shine their light where God has placed them. Um, and, and when we are, and I think this is the concern you mentioned at the very beginning, when we as Christians sometimes remove ourselves from situations because there's a, a negative spin or it's tainted or, um, it's, well, that doesn't represent Jesus. And, and I don't think that's the attitude or the heartbeat of the question. So that's, that's the one thing I'm very thankful for, which is why I can say this, cause I don't want to come across like I'm judgmental. Right. Um, but I do think if we as Christians decide to walk away from things because they're not indicative of grace and truth, then we're missing the boat because Jesus didn't do that because the disciples didn't do that because God's people didn't do that. Um, God's spirit didn't lead people to do that. Uh, and so I think it's really important to understand we're called to be light. And so you need to be diligent, obedient to what God is saying, be a light into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your community, into your friendship circles, be a light. Um, and sometimes there is like, I'm going to shut off my lights. I'm not going to celebrate this day. But every other day of the year, I'm going to be a light shining. I'm going to be in my front neighborhood, in my front yard. I'm going to be saying hi to my neighbors. I'm going to be meeting new puppies, and, and I'm going to be talking to my neighbors, and I'm going to be uh, celebrating when things are celebrating. I'm going to be present when things are grieving. Like I'm going to be engaged in my neighborhood because this is where God has placed me. And so I think that that, I mean, if I can get a little preachy, I think that's the most important thing. Whether you celebrate Halloween or not is neither here nor there. How are you reaching and loving and serving your neighborhood is the most important question. Um, and make sure that your that your light is shining brightly and your, dare I say it this way, make sure your front porch lights are always on, especially if they're off on Halloween. Um, and so I think that's the big thing because I do think the history of Halloween, it's a little dark and sketch, yes. But I'm thankful that God isn't afraid of that because he, he went to the pits of hell to overcome death and he came out victorious. And so we have the victory of Christ available and accessible in our lives. And so I think we have the opportunity to be a light too. So that's the tension. Um, but I think it's, it's a great question. And I think as Christians, we really got to evaluate why are we removing from things, which is what you're doing so well, um, dear listener. Uh, that's awesome. And I appreciate the question, but I do think like just continue as Christians, I hope it encourages and challenges all of us, it, myself included, um, to be intentional about what I'm doing and where I'm present and, and, and intentional where I'm not because I want to be obedient to what Jesus says. So those are all the big things there, I think. Yeah, I think Irony did a great job of saying as well, just like what, what we're saying here is our own personal convictions. We're not saying that this is the exact right or wrong thing. And at the end of the day, it does come down to pray. Um, and we're each called to do what we feel like the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us to do. So don't let us, like, yeah. if, even if we land on kind of opposite ends of different issues, don't let that distract from if you really do feel like this is the way God is leading you, then that's the way God is leading you. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, under our media page. Uh, and also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.